Jesus said that the most important thing in the world is your soul. Worth more than anything else in the world, actually. And you would think that if it's really that important, we would give more attention to it. That we'd be more concerned about how our soul is doing. But the truth of the matter is what? Most of us are not even aware of what's going on in our soul. And if we are aware of what's going on in our soul, we really don't have any idea what to do with it. So we just kind of put it on the shelf and walk away from it. And Jesus said, this is the most important thing. And we're like, eh, I don't know what to do with it. Well, we've been talking about this idea of caring for our souls. But it starts with what? Being aware of what's going on in our souls. And we've started with this question every week. How is it? with your soul today? How is it with your soul today? We need to be aware of what is going on inside of us. We need to tune into that. We need to you know, pull back the shutters and, and, and peer into our hearts and our souls and our insides and say, hey, what's happening here? And we need to let those voices or those emotions speak to us. We need to know what our soul is actually feeling. Now, every week we've put in your growth guide a list of different things that your soul might be feeling. In the first week, we said check off those ones that, that maybe apply to you. And we've been working through that list, and it's a little bit uh, random, I, I suppose it looks like to you. But we've been working through these lists saying, if this is what your soul is experiencing, if this is what it's feeling right now, this is what you might do to find health for your soul. And so we've been looking at some of these ideas for the past several weeks of things that might be helpful to you. But one of the points that I've made repeatedly, and I want to make again today, is the fact that we are interconnected beings. There's a lot of parts to us, but all of those parts work together to form the whole. And so there's a mental part to us, and there's a rational part to us, and there's an emotional part to us, and there's a spiritual part to us, and there's a physical part to us, and you can keep going. But all of those things fit together. And when one part of us is suffering, we tend to draw from another part of us. And flip side of that is when one part of us is healthy, it can actually contribute to another part that might be suffering. And so as we've looked at these ideas of soul care, it's like here's one way you can address this. But if you'll address it here, it may actually have some impact for you over here. So the first week we talked about this is being, we call it soul hydration, but the idea of connecting with God, and not just so that we could do our Christian duty, but that so we can actually have some time for God to pour into us. But if spiritually we can take a step forward, that's going to affect us emotionally, and that's going to affect us relationally, and that's going to help us in every part of our lives. The same thing we talked about the second week was Sabbath rest. This idea of actually getting physical rest, that doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? But because we're these interconnected beings, when we care for ourselves even physically, it's going to have an impact on us emotionally. We know that, right? And on mentally and even spiritually. Last week we talked about three practices, and in case you weren't going to do these, I think the weather came along to help us. Because we talked about, the first thing was what? We talked about slowing down. We're always in a rush everywhere, unless the wind chill is 40-something below, and then we're not in such a rush, are we? But the importance of slowing down, we talked about the idea of pursuing silence and solitude. 
And we also talked about even this idea briefly last week about simplicity and, and simplifying our lives. But as we start to take these spiritual practices or these soul practices and put them in play in our lives, we're going to breathe life into our soul, and we're going to breathe health into our souls. Well, this week we're going to step out a little bit further into the water, and we're going to explore some soul conditions that maybe even hit us on a deeper level. Because if you checked off on your list that your soul right now is feeling pain or grief or anger or bitterness or is hurting or is sad or sorrowful or disappointed, you're feeling those things because not everything is right with your soul. But what do you do about it? Because those things happen, right? That's just part of life. We have these wounds that come our way. We have these injuries that come our way and we get punched in the gut or we get smacked in the face or we get stabbed in some way. And wounds come to us from many sources. Sometimes they come from abuse. Sometimes it's it's a mate who hasn't done right by you. Sometimes it's a friend who turns on you in betrayal. Sometimes the wound comes because you have parents that you can't ever live up to their expectations. And it's been that way for as long as you can remember. And even though they're gone, you still remember that feeling maybe. Maybe it's neglect or abandonment. Maybe you've been taken advantage of. Maybe you've gone through some significant loss. Loss of a loved one or loss of a trust or loss of an opportunity or loss of a relationship. Maybe it's rejection. Maybe it's somebody who left you behind. Or maybe it's a dream that you've had that just has died and crumbled. But we all have in us these wounds. And if we're not careful, these wounds can fester and these wounds can even grow and these wounds can cause disease in our souls. And they're all built around this idea of unfulfilled expectations or unnecessary hardships or or maybe unexpected disappointments. In fact, I think disappointment's really at the bottom of all of it, isn't it? We have some ideal of how it's supposed to be, and then we have this reality, and they're not very close. And we ache for, and we long for, and we hurt for what we wish was versus what we're actually experiencing. And when I talk about wounds, it's probably not hard for you where you sit this morning to say, oh, that's mine. And I apologize because maybe I even brought something to the surface that you wish you hadn't been reminded of. And my goal is not to re-injure. Actually, my goal is to offer some help and some hope this morning for these injuries. The faith tradition that I grew up in wasn't that dissimilar from here. But where I grew up, there was no category for pain. And there was no category for grief or for loss or or for, for woundedness or for any of this stuff. So something bad would happen, and here's how we handled it. We would nod. We might put a hand on somebody's shoulder. We might say, hey, I'll pray for you. And then we quote Romans 8.28, right? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And that was supposed to cheer us up. 
And so we would, you know, try to believe that God was really good in the middle of this tragedy, and we would just go on our way like nothing happened. And that didn't work. And what it resulted in is a lot of people who had like this superficial faith who were dealing with this really hard stuff in the inside, and I don't think, I don't think they were really getting much help. And what I want to do is I want to encourage us to get past that. See, I think maybe growing up, they would have said something like this, you know, a a happy soul is a healthy soul. And I might say it the opposite, like a healthy soul will be a happy, happy soul. And so we need to focus more on getting our souls healthy when they've been wounded. So how do we do that? Well, that's a really, really, really hard question. Because as I look at Scripture, I'm not aware of any big, like, 12-step plan that shows up on the pages of Scripture. Here's how to heal, and here's how to process injuries. So what happens is most of us try to figure this out on our own. Because we have whatever it is going on inside of us, and it's hurting. And so we've got to come up with some plan. And so we resort to any one of a number of plans. Let me suggest some this morning. We support, we, we uh, resort to denial. And we just pretend like whatever it was never happened. And we don't go there and we just put it out of our minds and we say, okay, and we just go on like never happened and we bury it. And sometimes we even create an alternate reality in our mind. But that's how we deal with it. Some of us deal with it this way by minimizing. This is one of my favorites. Oh, it's no big deal. I remember going through something back um, several years ago, and I said to my wife, ah, it's no big deal, Kelly. It was nothing personal. And she looked at me and said, oh, yeah, it was. And she was trying to say, you know what, that's not the way to deal with your pain right there. But we do that sometimes. Oh, you know what, I'm okay. Or we do it through distraction. You know what, I'm really in pain over here, so I keep myself really busy over here. I think men have a... a, a, a Unbelievable capacity to do this, where we can compartmentalize, where I can just kind of put this in its own room over here and move into this room over here and just keep myself really, really busy. That's, I think, why so many of us get, can get married to like our work, because it helps us shut out what's going on inside of our souls. How about this one? Tough it out. You know, when my kids were little, you know, all the times they got hurt playing sports. And I was always that dad on the sidelines going, get up, you're not hurt. Walk it off. Keep playing. And my kids would just look at me and roll their eyes, you know, while their legs are dangling. And uh, But we do the same thing with our souls. Get up, you're not hurt. Tough it out. And I mean, other people have it worse than you do, right? And we end up working or walking with like a, a permanent limp on the inside. How about this? Sometimes we shut it down. I just don't go there. And we build walls in our past or in our histories or, or even in our relationships or even in our situations and our circumstances. And, and we, we close down part of our souls and, and we don't let anything penetrate. Because when it penetrates, it hurts too much. And we actually become emotionally unresponsive when we do this. And maybe you can call it numbness, but something bad happens like, eh, what? you know, we just kind of let it roll off because we have shut down that part of ourselves to protect our souls. 
Sometimes we react. We become hostile and, and, and even, you know, somebody says something and we snap back at them. And it's part of how we're dealing with this hurt. Sometimes we drown out the pain. A lot of the addictions that we see in our world are because people have been injured and hurt or disappointed, and this is how you deal with it. And we have, you know, the addictions that come to mind, like, you know, alcohol or food, but, you know, we also have Netflix and Facebook and Target and all these other addictions too, right, that we use as tools to drown out pain. How about this one? Sometimes we wallow in it. Do you know there's a perverse pleasure in self-pity? And have you ever gone and, and really just swam in self-pity for a while? It like hurts and feels good at the same time, which is kind of crazy. But that's sometimes how we do it. We actually kind of get like a, a small, weird joy out of our sorrow and our hurt. Sometimes we do this. We spiritualize. Lisa Turkhurst is a Christian author, and, and uh, she says it this way. Sometimes we hold God pep rallies. It's going to be okay. You know, God's got a plan. And we go to that place right there, too. Like, well, just have to wait to see how this all works out. The problem with all of these responses is they're about pain relief and not about healing. We tend to look for ways to lessen the pain rather than pursuing the path of healing in our lives. And we know this medically. When something's wrong with us, sometimes we'll take the aspirin or the Tylenol or the ibuprofen to deaden the pain. But if there's a serious problem, we need more than just ibuprofen, right? We might need the antibiotic or we might need the surgery or we might need something else. But I think an awful lot of times what we do because we don't know what else to do. When pain comes, we go to pain relief. And what I want to encourage us to do this morning is to look for healing instead. But like I said, I don't have a huge solution, and I'm not sure the Bible lays out anything in a specific plan for you to follow. But I think there are some definite things from Scripture that can be helpful to us this morning as we deal with these issues of pain. But here's a word I want to give you, and it's an older word, and it's not a word that we use very often anymore. But this, the word is solace, which basically means comfort. And more than anything, what I want to do with the rest of our time here this morning is I want to offer solace or comfort to you. If you're in pain this morning, I want to say, okay, let me give you some comfort. And rather than giving you a big formula file to say, you know what, it's okay, sit where you are, but be comforted in this moment. And so let me just say a few things. First of all, if... I'm talking to you this morning, I'm sorry. And if nobody's ever said that to you before, let me say it for them, all right? I'm really sorry where you are. Because some of you are dealing with some really hard stuff, and you've dealt with some really hard stuff, and, and some of it's not going away. Whatever has happened, I'm sorry that it's happened to you, and I'm sorry for the hurt that it's caused you. And I really honestly mean that. It wasn't supposed to be this way. 
We live outside the garden in a world that's broken by sin, and it hits us all at different levels. And the fact that you're wounded may not be anything that you've even brought on yourself, and the fact that you're suffering may have nothing to do with you. It's just other than the fact that you're the one who's going through it. And by the way, if you want to dive into this area of suffering a little bit more, we did a, a message back in the fall on Elihu in our um, in our Heroes series, and you can find that online if you want to go back and look at that. But I'm sorry, but you know what? More sorry than I am is Jesus. He's sorry. And, and maybe you don't hear that word audibly, but I want you to hear that word in your soul this morning. We're going to look at a story here in John chapter 11, and maybe it's a familiar story to you. It's the story where Jesus is summoned by friends of his, Mary and Martha, because their brother Lazarus is lying sick. And if he could just hurry and get there, he could, with his healing power, he could for sure, he could keep Lazarus from dying. But Jesus lingers and Jesus waits, and after Lazarus has passed, he finally goes to see Mary and Martha. And so when he gets there, they are dealing with, first of all, disappointment. Because this Jesus, who they have big hopes in, he let them down, right? But they're also dealing with this grief and this loss of their brother. And so I picked the story up in verse number 17 of John 11. And it says this, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the time of loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And Martha said this to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And how did Jesus respond? Well, she keeps going here, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. But it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't respond to her words with anything negative or anything harsh or even anything corrective. Because she's basically pointing the finger and saying, this is on you, Jesus. This pain that I'm feeling, you could have prevented this, right? You, you had the power and you knew you could have come sooner. Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus said to her, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. And really important statement here. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who brings dead things back to life. He who bring, believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, a few verses later, we see that Mary, the sister, comes out and and a very similar dialogue goes on with her. And then it says in verse number 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And when he saw Mary and when he saw Martha weeping, he was moved in trouble in spirit. And when he sees you in your weeping, he is moved in trouble in spirit. This is the Jesus that we have. And he says in verse number 34, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And in verse number 35, it says this simply, Jesus wept. 
Their pain and their grief and their sorrow did not go unnoticed and it didn't go unfelt and it didn't go ignored. Jesus entered into it with them. And so I would say that this morning too. Not only am I sorry, Jesus is sorry, but you're not alone either. You're not the only one going through this, but you're not going through this alone. Sometimes God surrounds us with people to help us go through it. Sometimes I think we just sense the presence of Jesus himself as he enters into our story. And so I offer that this morning as consolation. You're not alone in this. And the pain that you think you're feeling, maybe the person sitting next to you or across the aisle or behind you is going through something very similar. But as we go through this together, we can encourage each other, but we can be encouraged by the fact that Jesus goes through it with us. But it's not just consolation, it's invitation too. It's an invitation to step out of the shadows and to step out of your suffering, to refuse to do whatever it is that we do for pain relief and to find some healing because Jesus can and will help you. He cares deeply for you. He came and he died for your hurts. And he's the resurrection and the life. That means he changes impossible situations. That means he breathes life back into hopeless situations. And sometimes he just comes and he eases the pain. Sometimes he even comes and erases the pain. But because Jesus comes to us, it makes us or gives us that much more comfort or the word solace as we've been talking about. So what do we do with this, though? How do I find solace in my life? Let me just suggest some ideas here. And this is not some plan to follow. It's just some some ideas for you to think about that might be helpful to you in whatever your situation is, whatever your soul's experience in this morning. First of all, dare to go there. Dare to deal with the issue that's plaguing you. And I'm not talking about dredging up something from the past that's just going to cause more harm. But I am talking about sometimes we have issues in life that we just have never taken care of. And we've just gone to one of those pain relief methods rather than than try to, to work through and sort through it. But you need to deal with it because here's what happened. When we hold this pain in our soul, it leaks out. And it leaks out into the other parts of us. So it leaks out into us emotionally and it, and it leaks out into our thinking and it leaks out even into our spirituality and, and our relationship with God and it leaks out into our relationship with other people around us. And all of that stuff that's inside us that we think it's just ours, we're actually sharing with other people in, in, in unhealthy ways. So let me just encourage you this morning to say, hey, you know what? I want to deal with the wound and I'm going to go there, and to stop stuffing it down. Secondly, allow yourself to grieve and to hurt. I love this story that we just looked at because Jesus said what? It's okay to cry. In fact, I'll cry with you. Even though I know I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead in a few minutes, but let me weep with you. And grief is actually a part of healing. And when I talked about my upbringing, this is we weren't allowed to grieve. Because somehow that was like an affront to God, that he wasn't good. And yet in this story, I see God himself as Jesus Christ grieving with Mary and with Martha. 
And give, or excuse me, grief is actually, I think, a gift. The God gives us to help us deal with it. Now, we can't live in our grief forever, but we need to go there. And we need to start working through that. And grief is hard and grief takes time, but it's also necessary. And then thirdly, invite God into your brokenness. Brokenness is not an indicator of unworthiness. We're all broken. And it's not that God looks at us and says, okay, sorry about that. Guess I'm going to have to kind of keep my distance here because I don't want it to get on me. That's not how God works. That God is drawn to brokenness. We talked about that in our re-engage group on, on uh, Tuesday night, how we're all broken people. And, and David talks about this in Psalm 51. It's our brokenness that actually attracts God. And so I would say to you, God, please come into my brokenness. And let's be real in our brokenness, okay? I mean, we can be like Mary, Mary or excuse me, Martha, who said to Jesus, hey, you didn't make it, and this is on you. Because I don't think that threatens Jesus. He already knows the thoughts that's going around in our heads. If we express them, you're not giving him any new news. And sometimes in our brokenness, it would be better for us to, to get it all like out on the table and say, God, here it is. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm feeling. You already know this, but let me express this. And it's not going to be a threat to God. And that may involve... Bitterness, and that may involve anger, and that may even involve your feelings towards God himself. But get it out there. Do you know how much of the Bible includes this idea of lamenting? Like 40% of the Psalms? Like we have a book that's called Lamentations? Because this is part of the human experience, and it doesn't surprise God when we go there. I was listening to an interview recently by Lisa Turkhurst, who I mentioned earlier who was a Christian leader, a Christian a Proverbs 31 women, a national uh, ministry organization. Um, she has a little devotional thing out there. I think it's called the First Five. There's like millions of people who use this. And back a few years ago, she discovered that her husband was having an affair. And then on top of that, um, she had her colon twist and pull away from uh, wherever it's attached. And so she's in incredible pain and they can't figure out what's going on. And they finally get that resolved. And then she discovers that she has breast cancer. And she ended up writing a book that was titled this, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And some of you are dealing with this. That might be a great book for you to get to, to, to read. It might be an encouragement. through. But it's her story of her injured soul in dealing with the hurt that she's going through and how it affected her faith as well. And she said, this is very confusing when our faith and our feelings are in conflict. And she said, I started to doubt his promises, not to the world in general, but just to me. But she took those and she expressed them to God. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. And then this, lean into his comfort. I think that God offers us more comfort than we realize sometimes, and sometimes it's in the people around us. Sometimes it's actually in his word. In your growth guide today, if you open it up, and it's a, it's a folder, there's a passage of Scripture, and I want to read through this uh, with you this morning. And it's going to show up on the, on the screen. And I'm going to read the words that are light, and if you'll read aloud with me the words that are bolded, 
And then we'll pause a few times as we go through this. But this is how God comforts us. Listen to the comfort of this psalm, Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Join me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And what's the point here in these verses? Simply this. God knows all about you. Whatever it is that you're dealing, God knows. There's no surprise. He didn't get up this morning and go, huh, gosh, I should have been paying closer attention. God knows all about you. Let's keep reading. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. God is with you. Always. No matter where, no matter when, no matter what. Verse number 11. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. He sees us in the darkness. It's pretty comforting, isn't it? Verse number 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I know I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from me when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And here's the truth. God has always had a purpose for you. Verse number 17, How precious are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He's constantly thinking about you. My wife had something she gave me back when we were dating, and I've lost it. But it was a little medicine bottle full of sand. And it had that verse, that last verse that we read there, that your thoughts to me, God, are are more than the sands. And she would do this when she was teaching school. She would say, lick your finger and stick it in this thing and pull it out. And guess how many grains of sand are on your finger? And kids would guess, you know, 50, 100, whatever. And then they start counting. And if you lick your finger and put it in the sand, you will have hundreds of grains of sand on your finger. That one little place. And David says here, he thinks about you more than all the grains of the sand. That's how much God thinks about you. Let me just mention two more things as we close up this morning. Be willing to let it go. And at least enough to move forward. And there's a difference between just burying it 
in dealing with it from this too. But sometimes we hang on to it as well. And we let things that need to, we need to let God's healing in our life and we don't allow it in because we won't accept it or we won't forgive or we won't adjust or we won't learn. But we need this idea of moving on from our past into the future. And then one last thing here, let others speak into your story. I think this is really, really, really important. And I appreciated this about Lisa Turkhurst in this interview I heard, how other people started speaking to her when she didn't believe things, they would see, say things to her that, that she might believe. And so we're going to finish up with this idea this morning. We're going to speak into each other's stories. So as we read through that psalm, we identified five things, right? God knows all about you. God is with you. God sees you in the darkness. God has a purpose for you. God's constantly thinking about you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody sitting next to you. And if it's just one person, fine. Or if you need to make three, fine. But I want you to actually say those five things to the person sitting next to you. And then have the other person sitting next to you say those five things back. And as you say them and as you hear them, I want you to think about the truth of what you're saying in hearing. And maybe that little exercise feels weird. But I know this from my own story. Hearing those words said to you has impact. Because sometimes in our hurt and our brokenness and our pain, we start to doubt those truths. And we have a hard time saying them to ourselves. But to hear somebody say it into us is pretty powerful. And even we read that scripture aloud because I think the spoken word has incredible power in pain. And so we read that aloud and we hear that, even our souls. And maybe it brings just a little bit of healing. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to finish with a song this morning, one of my favorite songs. But this last point is this. Jesus breathes new life into hopeless situations. I don't know what your pain is, but I would encourage you this morning to move from pain to healing. And here's how it's going to work, though. It's not going to be some 12-step process. It's going to be a person. And Jesus is a healer. And I actually think that's maybe why the Bible doesn't lay out some big process. Because we just get all locked into what step do we take next. And Jesus says, no, how about if I step into your situation, Martha, Mary, Brent, whoever you are, and let me bring you healing. That's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray.